it is, <clears throat> it is no secret how much I truly enjoy the women in a Mother's Heart Bible study. Since we've been together for the last few years, a number of them have added to their family by adding one, two, three children. I even found out during coffee hour after the first service, I went to a group of them and boldly walked up and said, who's next? And one of them raised their hand and said, I am. We're productive. We're productive. But I will confess that whenever one of them comes close to their due date, I become a bit unsettled. It's not complicated. I know why. It's about being around them simply brings back memories of those early days when we brought home our firstborn, Macaulay. Those days when you don't know what you're doing and life feels unstable, to say the least, even when you have your mother present to guide you through those days. On our fourth night, and it's amazing that I remember it was the fourth night, Macaulay started to cry after dinner. And she cried, and she cried, and she cried. And let me tell you that that doesn't even cover what she was doing. She was red in the face, her mouth was open, she was gasping for air in between the crying. Even her little five-day-old arms and legs had enough strength to be flailing all around. There was nothing we could do, nothing, to ease whatever it was that was causing her to cry out. Mike and I were sitting on our bed, and we would be passing her back and forth, saying, well, maybe you can do it, maybe you can do it. And, and at one point, there she is, and I know that I have tears coming down, and Mike has books, you know, the books that you buy to read that will solve everything, and, and he's looking at solutions, and so, well, we just did that, we'll try it again, okay, we did nothing, nothing worked. I remember thinking, this is it. Life is always going to be this way. Why didn't anybody warn us? Some of you will remember a moment or moments like that with your own child. But even if you don't have that memory, I can assure you that you have been that baby. Whether you were five days old, five years old, or 50 years old, you have been in a place where you have cried out to God, either with your own words and your own tears or with your actions, hoping to find relief from your fears, from your anxiety, your lostness, your sense that things are just not what they should be. This is the second week in Advent, and the scriptures that have been read are ones that paint for us, that point us to celebrate the first coming of Jesus and to eagerly anticipate his coming again. Both passages speak to those who know both inside and out that their lives are not what they should be and that something needs to happen to turn us to move towards something new. But we don't know how to do it. These are incredible words to God's people in exile and to us. Words that are filled with promise, words that are filled with purpose, and words that are filled with his presence. Join me in looking at the first two verses in Isaiah 40, if you have your Bibles open. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see, Isaiah is writing to people, God's people, where foreign armies had defeated them. Their homes had been overtaken. They had been taken prisoner, and they were carried off to a land that is not their own. The heart of who they were had been torn right out from them. 
they had been at this point in exile for a little more than 50 years, which means that now there's a generation living with the consequences of life in exile. Armies may have taken them away, but Isaiah makes it clear in his earlier prophetic words that God did not do this to them. They did it to themselves. Their own choices, their way of life, and their sinfulness had brought it about. And as far as they could tell, there was no end in sight. God speaks to his people then and to his people now with these incredible words. Comfort, comfort my people. Just thinking of the word comfort may bring to you a variety of images. A soft chairs to slouch down in. Certain foods that stir up warm memories. And then you can fill in the blank as to what that word concept means to you. We want more comfort. We want comfort to mean no more struggle, no more pain, no more frustration, don't we? Our English word comfort that comes closest to the Hebrew language is a combination of the Latin words comfortus, with strength. When God speaks of comfort, he does not intend it to be a soft word, but it's a vigorous one. It is a word that has muscle. The most important question asked and answered by the students, me in the confirmation class over in our living room right now with Pastor Nathan, is the very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. You've heard us ask it here before. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer that they are learning and the answer that I hope you are coming to know is that it means much more than just a warm blanket. When God brings comfort, he does not just put his arm around us and say, there, there, feel better. He comes to us first with a message about what is what in our lives. God says, I know what's going on in your life and in your world. I know all of it. I have never forgotten you. I have heard your never-ending cries. I have seen your flailing arms, and I know your deepest need. And my heart breaks with love for you. Can you even imagine the response of the people who have been in exile when they are hearing the word spoken not only once, but twice? The first time, comfort. What? Comfort. How is that even possible? Isaiah continues on and he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. The Hebrew is even more specific in the original language. It says, speak tenderly to the heart. The one who is going to come with strength speaks tenderly to, the, to their hardened hearts and to yours and mine with words that should cause every heart to soften. What could God possibly say that would do that? Isaiah says three things that simply are breathtaking. And we could stop with that, for, with that second verse today. He says, their warfare has ended. Their iniquity has been pardoned. And she has received abundantly from the Lord's hand, double for all her sin. Please don't misunderstand what Isaiah is saying. It's not that her sins are being punished twice as much. No, God says that no matter how great the sin there is grace to not only match it, but to cover it. The exile from God that had been going on since Adam and Eve is ending. That is really good news. Isaiah goes on to say in the following verses that now the mountains will be made low, the valleys will be lifted up, and the rough and uneven ground will become level and plain. 
the way will be prepared. And if we connect any dots between warfare ending, iniquity pardoned, and abundant grace with the way being prepared, it is simply this. If the salvation of God is going to come from anywhere, it will come from the middle of life's struggle, from the middle of life's ugliness, from the middle of the desert. And out of all that ugliness, the glory of the Lord will be revealed for all to see. I've had enough conversations with some of you who are struggling and facing difficult things. And I hear you say, what I'm facing is horrible. I'm scared at what's ahead. And may the glory be revealed through all of it for all to see. You have come to know that glory comes out of grief. Glory comes out of sorrow. And glory comes out of heartache. How is it even possible that comfort will come, that hearts will soften, and that a way out of exile will become clear. Isaiah says it's very simple. It's because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It seems that especially when everything seems to indicate that there is no hope, that there's no way out, that God says, I know things are not looking good at all, but I have a way. Try to imagine those words being heard by people who have not heard from God or experienced him for a very long time. We ask the same questions that the Israelites would have been asking themselves. When has God's word ever failed us? When has God's word ever failed you? The answer is it hasn't. The only way to confront any doubts that we might have that God will do what he says, we must look, we must be reminded at who we are, but even more importantly, who he truly is. Here are the words from Isaiah, words that lead the people in exile into a purpose. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So go on up to a mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. It is so easy for you and me to fool ourselves into thinking that we have God all figured out, isn't it? Too often we create God in our own finite image rather than recognizing that we are created in his eternal one. And when we do, we make God very small and we limit what he can do. Isaiah, with these words, is drawing us to think about God in a way that bears his image and not our own. A voice says, of all this that is causing you grief and strain, it's all going to fade away. Everything you are holding on tightly to, it's going to fade away. Even all that is beautiful, even all that we consider good, even you, you are going to fade away. That really doesn't sound like good news, does it? But it is. Because you see, when we finally see our own frailty, when we see kingdoms rise and fall around us, when we see our culture and all its harshness and pitfalls weighing down on us, do we really want any of those things to last? We just don't. C.S. Lewis said it well. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, 
the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And indeed, you have been made for another world. All of those things are going to fade and wither away. You don't want to hold on to them tightly anymore. The good news is that when we become citizens in God's kingdom through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are part of what will in fact last forever, for all eternity. And as God's people, no more time needs to be spent on navigating our way through our lives as though we are living in exile. Your purpose is clear. Go high up on the mountain where all the noisy, the frivolous voices cannot be heard. Do whatever it takes, whatever you need to do, to behold your God. The one who comes with strength and speaks tenderly. The one who guarantees his purpose to end our exile from him with his own words and with his own life. Friends, the message is so great. The news is so good. It must be spread as widely as it possibly can go. And when you behold your God, don't just give him a passing glance. Gaze deeply. Stare at him. Look him in the face as much as you know how. Behold your God, Isaiah shouts to Israel. You may be in the foreign land of exile, but here is your God. Look at him. I don't know what conversations you're having in your workplace, over lunch or coffee, or at any of your Christmas gatherings, but I'm finding in surprising places that people are eager to talk about what is going on around us and in our world. And when you listen to them and when you think beneath their words, you realize that people have no idea where to turn, who to listen to, how to move away the messy, the even filthy thinking to find a clear path. And they're not even sure where a clear path would lead them. But they know whatever is going on is leading nowhere fast. It could not be an easier time, as Isaiah says, to lift up your voice with strength and to point to the God who is glorious, who is majestic, and who is unchanging. No matter how little or how much you know about him, Isaiah is saying, behold him, point to him. 700 years after the words of Isaiah, John the baptizer was walking through the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Listen to the words from the Gospel of Mark that you heard. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins and repenting. And what was John doing? The people were eager for a new path because the one they were walking on wasn't working for them. And John was pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold, there is one who is coming who will baptize the people with the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit, the promised counselor, the helper, the comforter. Look, there he is. Until he comes in all his glory for that second and final time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Until then, we point to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So then while I live anticipating the future glory, when all will behold him face to face, is there something for me now? Oh yeah, there is. There very much is. Isaiah says that 
He will be present with his people in the most unexpected ways. Look at verse 11 of Isaiah. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah has already said, Behold God, behold his might, behold his glory, behold his majesty, and now behold the loving shepherd. The words of Isaiah foreshadow how God comes to us to be present with us right now in a personal way, showing care and protection, gentleness and compassion. He doesn't just carry the weak lambs over his shoulder as a shepherd might transport a sheep. Instead, we're told he lovingly cradles them close to his heart. This is a vastly different picture of God that's really everybody's favorite image of who he is. You know the one. God is the royal potentate, the powerful king riding a war horse in proud procession, trumpets blaring, banners unfurled. I will admit that I look around our world and some days that's what I want him to do. I want him to just to come right in and make it all right. But Isaiah says, actually, he's going to come as a shepherd, tenderly speaking, carrying lambs in his arms, gently leading. That's a very different, a much different picture. Can it really be possible that mercy is what is at the heart of God? You and I wonder, how many lambs can this shepherd possibly carry? Can he carry me? This shepherd's arms stretch far and wide. He carries all that come, come to him. The number is vast. Does his comfort ever, ever run dry? It's not even possible. Being held close to the heart of God is both a safe and a tender place. And because it is with God, it's also a place for all eternity. Advent tells us that God is true to his word. He has come. The incarnation of God's son does not shoot from beautiful decorations or a tastefully displayed manger scene. Rather, the incarnation comes into our wilderness, the one inside us and the one we trudge through day after day. Advent is here because our reality is so very often so very far away from everything that is pretty and peaceful. The reality is that at times it is horrific and harsh. In Advent, we celebrate that God has been true to his word. He came the first time, and now we trust the promise that he will return a second time, just as he says he will. So that four-day-old crying baby recently th turned 30, so evidently she stopped crying at some point. And this is how it happened. Remember, we were really in a very brief moment where we were helpless, lost, defeated. Our future looked very dim and very tiring. And then there was a quick knock on the door from my mother, who did not wait for an answer. She opened the door, and with great intention, she came right over and said words that changed our world in that moment. Jackie Ann, give me that baby. 
She did not wait for a response, yay or nay, from me. But in one move, she took Macaulay out of my hands. She took her up, and with her arms, she held her close. And I know she said something to her, and I promise you, from the moment she did that and she turned, and she walked maybe the 10 feet to the door, not only had Macaulay stopped crying, but she was sound asleep. <laughs> Strong arms, tender words, close to her heart. I need that. Strong arms that reach out to me and draw me in close. And I know that you need that too. The good news is that we have a God who says, Comfort, comfort my people. And he comes as a shepherd who tenderly speaks and carries the lambs in his arms to gently lead his flock home. That's what we shout. Truly, tithings of great comfort and joy. Thanks be to God.